2: No is necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From this.
1: Bruno Fernandes quickly on the move.
2: Into the hat-trick. Oh, anything else. Nothing else was going to happen than that. To so this. Free kick in towards Maguire who misses it.
1: And it's off the top of the bar. And Martial tries to get it over the line. It's cleared by Salisu. Well, how's that not gone in? United
0: have to settle for a point. They equal the all-time record in the top flight of 27 away league games unbeaten. So it's finished here at St Mary's. Southampton one, Manchester United one.
1: Familiar frustration returns from Manchester United as soon as the second game of the season. The elation of leads quickly subdued by a disappointing draw on England's south coast as United are forced to come from behind to take a draw away from Southampton at St Mary's. Welcome back to the Manchester United weekly podcast and to Series 7, Episode 3 with me, Harry Robinson, and my co-host Jack Tate. Today we're talking about that game against Saints, what was missing for United and what the solutions could be. In the middle of the show, we'll give you a concise update on how United's low knees are doing as we focus on Teeth Chong, who's already been lighting up the championship. ether Laird's already doing well too, and there's plenty more to run through quickly. And after that, we'll look ahead to Sunday's game against Wolves. Another away trip, this time to Molyneux. Jack, let's very quickly run through the positives so we can start this with a smile on our faces. Having had a wonderful start to the season, let's not get down in the dumps too early. The very quick positive are Paul Pogba and Mason Greenwood, probably.
0: Yeah, Greenwood and Pogba are absolutely the two standouts for this, from the start of the season for United. Not only the two standouts, but standout performances from two players who you would say really needed a strong start to the season yeah obviously Pogba has been in the headlines all summer Will he? won't he leave with his contract running down and then Greenwood more from a footballing perspective just wanted to prove himself after a difficult start to last season improved end but then not getting in the Euro squad I think he was a bit of a forgotten man and especially with Cavani being signed permanently this year Sancho coming in you know, I think there was some pressure on Greenwood to actually sort of prove his worth and make sure that he could, can get the minutes that he needs this season. And both of them have, have started the season absolutely brilliantly and, and really, I think, have carried this United team to some degree. Yeah,
1: I think, I mean, the whole team was great against Leeds, but genuinely the whole team. And this week it was, it, and my brother said something which I thought was pertinent in that Pob was outstanding again on Sunday. And he was outstanding in a game where his teammates were not so good. And I think that's rare with Pogba. We've seen him light up games in the past, like the Leeds game. One of his best games in the United shirt, obviously. But that was in a game where everyone else was good. We've seen him have... He pulled us back into that game against City. is the famous one that we can always look back to. And there's been other games where he's been very good. But generally, it's been, I think, when... The team has been good. This was a game where United were bad and Pogba was good. And I think that's rare. And I think it's a real positive going forward this season.
0: It has been rare throughout his United career. And I think it's one of the things that has been leveled at him for you know a player that's supposed to be the leader of this this team. That is kind of the main knock on his performances. I think that he's a bit of a fair weather player, I think, in a lot of cases. You know, when United are playing well, when everyone else around him is on song, Pogba comes through it and really, you know, is sort of the cherry on the cake but yeah. he's never he's never he's never the sponge that sort of holds the cake together you know and I think that's sort of what Pogba has been missing and to be fair against Southampton he he was probably our, alongside Greenwood our best player.
1: Yeah I think so absolutely I think he's also provides some kind of insight and Solskjaer spoke after the game about how determined Pogba is to win something at United and how much of an influence he's having in the dressing room at the moment and in training and I think we've also often heard this thing about him about how he wanted to be a leader for France and he became one. And there was that famous video of him speaking in the the France dressing room during the World Cup winning run. And we always thought, well, why haven't we got this at United? And it seems to me that even with all this talk going on about his future, with only a year left on his contract and Solskjaer's refusing to get drawn into whether he's going to sign or he won't, he's, I think, quite cleverly distancing himself from that. And also, I think, particularly cleverly distancing not only himself, but also the player. And this has always been his tactic with Pogba, is is separating Paul Pogba, United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer from Mino Realo and... Ed Woodward basically from Matt Judge or Richard Arnold or whoever's negotiating the contracts for Manchester United it's been that separation of players representatives and club representatives and the on pitch Paul Pogba and he's doing that again um, by separating the contract talk from Pogba's on-pitch performances, but he seems to be suggesting that Pogba has kind of really started having a bigger influence in the dressing room. And it wouldn't surprise me. I get the same, we know all the United players look up to him, particularly the young ones. We know, I, well, we can imagine how much Bruno Fernandes enjoys playing with them and, and the rest of the United players as well, but certainly the young players look up to him and it wouldn't surprise me if he is taking on a bit of a leadership role. And I think, perhaps we'll see that the more responsibility you give him that actually the better he plays and that he's maybe not one of those players we've we've criticized him in the past saying if he wants that responsibility he has to show why he deserves it or he has to take it himself maybe he has started taking it himself but we'll see it's two games in he needs to carry it on for uh, the next few months as for Mason yeah 2 in 2 and uh, Solsha said this wasn't his best game but he still scored a slightly uh, fluffed finish but it went in nevertheless and I thought he, it was not it was a game where he showed glimpses again rather than the Leeds game where you thought wow this is a really dominant striker's performance um and I think with the Mason positive we can move on to our our first negative and Mason has I think shown that he's the man for United to play at centre forward when Cavani isn't and Martial has shown he's the man to sit on United's bench
0: yeah absolutely I mean it's easy to say now in hindsight with how the game went but I've got to say, I'm yeah, yeah. I'm shocked that Martial started at centre forward ahead of Greenwood in the first place. I think Greenwood played so well against Leeds as centre forward last week. To me, without a doubt, his best performance for the first team playing as a striker, all of his best performances in the past in the first team have come playing generally on the right or on the left. As a striker, he's always struggled to get into the game too much. He's had to drop really deep to become involved and he hasn't been a particularly focal point of our team when he's played at striker but against leeds he was that and more he was brilliant and i understand that maybe the thinking this time was that this isn't the game for dan james given that southampton were never going to give us the same amount of space that leeds did but greenwood was just so good last week that to me it seemed a strange one to move arguably your best player from the leeds game out of the position where he played so well you know i again it's easy to say in hindsight and at the time I don't think there was that many raised eyebrows Yeah, you know, I don't think it was an awful decision to play Martial but I do think there's an argument to, to be had that if a player is in great form why would you move him away from where he's played so well and that's exactly what Solskjaer did with Pogba so I don't really understand why he couldn't do the same thing with Greenwood
1: Yeah I, I, I agree I also think Solskjaer said in pre-season he, he, it seemed to me like he wanted to emphasise how that Martial had really actually been out for quite a long time and I think he was right to do so because we had forgotten I think we kind of we, we remembered Marshall being injured at the back end of last season, but forgot that actually he was injured all over summer as well. It was a kind of a five to, five month long injury, which is pretty significant. Only seemed lesser because he missed what uh, well quite a few games to be fair from from the end of March onwards. So he probably missed ten games, but. It, it was more significant than we'd thought. It then surprised me that he came back in so quickly. Solskjaer said he looked sharp against Burnley in the behind closed doors game, but is that really enough? And yeah, I agree with you. If after after Greenwood's performance, I just think you had to had to keep him in there. And I, I also think just in terms of long term, you are looking again, he said Solskjaer said that Carl you know, Anker asked him a question recently about Greenwood's development and what he's doing to make him into a central player instead of a a, a winger. And Solskjaer said, "Well, maybe I don't want him to play up front, and I think he does. And in that case, even if he, if, even if he's being coy about it, I think you've got to start giving Greenwood that responsibility. And we did against Leeds, and he really took it. And on Martial, it's just I, I, I don't want to be premature with kind of a, he's he's a game. Well, I mean, he's less than ninety minutes into his return from a long-term injury." But it's not as if this was an unfamiliar yeah. performance from him. And I love this quote from Muso Kwonga from the Stadio podcast tweeted, Martial is not a number nine playing centre forward is an office job and he just wants to be freelance. And I thought that summed it up perfectly.
0: Yeah, that is a, a brilliant way to sum up Martial uh, as a player, to be honest. And I, th- I think, listen, I think on Greenwood, firstly, before getting into Martial, I think we're going to get to an inflection point very soon with Greenwood. And sort of where his career goes in Man United, at least for the next few years. In that, yeah. you know, Cavani is not going to be around at United for for very much longer. Realistically, it's probably only going to be this season. At which point, then United face a big decision in that: do you go into twenty twenty two, twenty three, back in Greenwood as yeah. you know, you are the the not only the future but also the present of this club as our main striker. Maybe you bring in someone else to be a backup, but you go in with Greenwood as the starter. Or do you go out and try and make a big money signing like an Erling Haaland or someone of that ilk to bring in as a striker to replace Cavani and give Greenwood another few years, either to play out wide and develop him fully as a winger I, or to play out there for a few more years before bringing him in as the as striker. We are going to reach that point. I think very it's very pretty soon.
1: simple. Really. As much as I love Mason Greenwood and, and back him to go on to achieve incredible things, I think it's... It's not irrelevant how good he is, but you need two world-class strikers at United. And maybe it's less important than it used to be because teams don't play with two strikers that much anymore. But given that Greenwood, even if Greenwood becomes a striker as his kind of go-to position, even so he'll still have that ability to play on the wing. In the same way that Rooney eventually, I mean, Rooney went through a crazy shift as a, a player going from as a, a proper striker back deeper into a 10 then onto the wings with Ronaldo and Tevez and then back up front when Ronaldo left and Tevez left and then slowly back into midfield as well players they they you don't want to be a, a jack of all trades master of none which Roy Keane was talking about with Greenwood this weekend on Sky but I think sometimes we overemphasize how much a player needs to stick to one position and the reality is it doesn't matter how good Greenwood is in you still do everything to sign Erling Haaland because with those two in the team and Sancho and Rashford, that's serious options. And we've already got good options, but they can go and get better.
0: I think that's true, though, if you're at a point, say, where Man City are, where every single position that you have is sort of sewn up, both in terms of quality and depth, and you're just sort of adding that one piece. But at least in United's case, let's assume that we don't sign a midfielder for the rest of this transfer window, at least from where finances are at the moment, it seems like for most of the big clubs. It's, it's not really feasible to be signing two players for, you know, 60, 70 or more million pounds. And so next summer, if it comes down to a choice of Haaland versus a midfielder, then then what do you do? Because at that point, I think if we don't know enough about Greenwood as a striker, you sort of have to go for the striker, but then that could leave us short in midfield again. So I I'm, I think the point is that we need to see enough of Greenwood this season to regardless of, of, of how that decision is made, we just need to be more informed when we when we sort of prioritise yeah, when it comes yeah. for next summer. because. To be honest, I, I, I would hate to see us have to prioritise a striker because we haven't seen enough of Greenwood this year. And then it ends up meaning that we miss out upgrading another position that we could have got someone in for. You know, I think it's it's easy to, to say like, well, you just bring in the best players possible, yeah, of yeah. course. But there also has to be an element of priori- prioritising certain positions. And that means you have to know enough about your own players. But the, the other thing on Martial and sort of this season, to me... Again, I, as you like you said, I don't want to jump the gun after one poor performance that was, what, 60 minutes long. He's just come off a, a pretty long-term injury. But to me, it seems pretty clear that given what we just discussed about Greenwood and what we've seen about Martial and Martial's future, that this season should be Cavani and Greenwood rotating as our striker and fitting in Martial wherever we can. It shouldn't be the three of them all sort of splitting the time as that striker. Yeah. It should be Martial, you know, where if we need him to play on the left, he can play on the left. If Greenwood or Cavani are either both out or both need the rest, he can come in as striker when we need him. If he rotates with Rashford in... and Pogba on the left, that's fine. Maybe play him on the right occasionally, but yeah. he shouldn't be, I don't think, at the same level as Greenwood or Cavani in that pecking
1: order. Well, the truth is, he needs to work himself back into the team. And yes, maybe you could say he's done that by supposedly being sharp in the behind-closed-doors game against Burnley, but he should really have to he He wasn't united's best striker last season he he scored seven goals he has to work himself back into the team and that means that you trust in Greenwood and I will we'll finally finish on him in a second and move on to the midfield, which you need to talk about. But that means you trust in Greenwood and Martial gets his chances in the League Cup third round and in the lesser Premier League games. Once you found the momentum, he doesn't come into the team as soon as he's fit enough to do so in the second Premier League game. I don't think that's right. I think, yeah, you, you trust in Greenwood so that you can, you can be informed on your decision next season. Absolutely. And you, and you I mean, trust him so there to, to, and you let him find some form.
0: It's it's somewhat similar to what we said about Pogba before as well. In that you know a couple of years ago, you do whatever it takes to get Pogba in the best position yeah. in your team, and you you make signings based on that, you play formations based on that. But it's not really the case now because we know that Pogba realistically isn't the future of this football club. And I think Martial is in a similar position. That I'm not saying Martial is a bad player at all. I don't think he is, and he's he's given us some great moments and he's had some great form patches at United. But the thing is, at the moment, Greenwood is very clearly the future. Yeah of the club Martial isn't I I don't see Martial staying for that much longer and if he does he's going to be a a bit part player and so there's there's no point prioritising him over Greenwood when Martial is not probably going to be here for another four, five, six years and if he is he's not going to be starting every week there's no point sort of doing everything we can to fit Martial into the team and and sort of shifting other players into worse positions to accommodate Martial Martial should be the one doing that and Greenwood should be the one that's prioritising I also
1: think I also think in, in a normal time when it was easy, it's easier to shift players and it, and Marshall hadn't been injured at the end of last season, he might well have seen him move on in the summer. But I think, yeah, you're trusting Greenwood. Especially
0: and, after Cavani signed for another, yeah, another
1: year. Yeah, but I just think with Greenwood, especially with Pogba's form and Fernandes being brilliant and Sancho coming in, you've got enough goals elsewhere in that team with Bruno, Santo, Pogba, Rashford when he comes back that... You can find goals even if Greenwood doesn't score as the main striker. He, he's got two and two, so he is. But say he he drops out of the goals for a bit, you can still find goals elsewhere in the team, enough goals that you can trust him and keep him in that central position until he really finds some consistency, which we want to see from this season. Now, let, let's talk about the midfield. I wrote straight after the game, midfield, sigh and... I think that kind of summed it up. There was a, there was a lot of debate around it. And uh, the truth was, it was made more difficult by McTominay getting a knock in, in the week. So Solskjaer said pre-match and post-match that he could only play about half an hour. And that's what he did when he came on for Fred. Matic and Fred, it, it's difficult because Fred and Matic together can work in theory. The problem is it doesn't because the rest of the team isn't good enough to make up for what those two lack. And they do lack something, but in theory, they could work together. Fred is. I feel like we should talk about Fred first there was a lot of debate about him and he loses the ball a lot he was taken off he he loses the ball more than any other Brazilian midfielder I've ever seen but (laughs) the number of times he wins possession back no matter how he does it and sometimes it's a little erratic and it looks a bit strange and you're kind of left thinking what you're doing but the number of times he wins possession back is crucial not only just for winning it back for winning it back's sake but also for keeping up the tempo of the game And you saw when he went off that United surrendered control of a game which we looked certain to find the next goal in. Um, Southampton started getting themselves back in and found a bit of control of the game because you didn't have that slightly loose slightly unreliable but buzzing like a Duracell bunny midfielder winning it back and it's it's not an ideal position to be in needing Fred to play despite his weakness as a passer but he is important to that United midfielder and he, he's different to McTominay and to Pogba and to Matic he's more mobile in smaller spaces he's I'm not gonna say he's better at winning the ball back overall, but he's certainly better at winning it back in the way that he does, which the others can't do. And he's in small spaces, I think he's not better at keeping possession, but more important to United than the others. And small spaces is kind of what sums up midfield.
0: I, I simply just I don't think that Fred and Matic works as a partnership. Even on paper, to be honest. Yeah. I understand that, you know, when we talk about partnerships, we we talk about two players that have different styles. So you don't want two players that are exactly the same because they're just doing the same job all the time. I get that. But you don't want those two styles to be so different that they can't work together. You need them to complement each other. And I think in in this midfield partnership in, in particular, their styles just don't match. How you describe Fred Harry is, is sort of spot on. It's this sort of lunatic Duracell bunny. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I, there is a serious role for that. And we've seen that Fred has been brilliant, especially in big games, at being that sort of presence that almost like a cante sort of role, obviously not to that same level at all, but that's sort of what he does. He's just everywhere on the pitch and he just breaks up play. But with someone like Matic alongside me, it just doesn't work. Matic is a much more controlled player who's much less mobile and because of that, then relies on his position and his reading, up, reading of the game to make up for that lack of m- mobility. Yeah. And again, Matic has had a brilliant career doing that. at Chelsea and his first couple of years at United, he was excellent at that. When you play the two of them together, what you end up with is you have one who goes chasing the ball at every opportunity and another who wants to stick in this solid defensive structure. And it ends up with one person pressing the ball. And one person pressing the ball is is almost pointless because it's so easy to pass around. If you just have two players, you just create a triangle and it's, and it's easy to, to pass around Fred. Yeah. And then Matic wants to stick in his position to try and you know stay in this good defensive structure. But without a midfield partner alongside him, that one player being in a good position isn't enough. And so it's it's easy, again, to just pass around both of them. We yeah. know that, that none of our midfield options are good enough on the ball, really. So that makes it even more important that when they are playing together, they work defensively so that they can win the ball back often enough to give us good attacking platforms. So it means we don't have to rely on them, you know, playing these amazing vertical passes through the lines. They, they have... a a sort of an easy job launching attacks because they just win the ball back so much. That's what Fred and McTominay give us. And obviously I want us to sign another central midfielder, but Fred and McTominay at least sort of works as a partnership because they do that enough yeah. between them.
1: I mean, that is the truth. I, I think I'll, I'll defend Fred as much as I will find him frustrating during games, but I'll defend him in the bigger picture. And I understand why Matic's played. I understand why Van Der Beek didn't come on, even though he, he's also good under pressure. And that's what Southampton were putting us under. But United's midfield just isn't good enough under pressure. And that creates problems in attack. And then in defence, it has the problems that you've just spoken about in terms of different styles causing there to be too much space and making it too easy to play through. And in in fairness,
0: you say two things. One, look, Fred, as I said, Fred isn't... You said he he gives the ball more than any Brazilian you've ever seen, which is completely spot on. He does have a role in this team. It shouldn't be that he starts every single week, but unfortunately that's what he's being asked to do at the moment, which to some degree is unfair on him. On him. But the other thing as well is that this wasn't I just... I think he a deserves field.
1: to start every single week at the moment. Given
0: no. who we have in our squad, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
1: That, yeah that's, but what, that, yeah, what I'm saying is I mean, that he yeah.
0: shouldn't, in an ideal world, he shouldn't have yeah. to start every week. Cause what, and we, be we, we
1: have off. left for so long. I mean, he's our last midfield signing. And yeah. he... He was not an obvious fit, and we we overpaid for him, and he took a year and a half to settle it. And since then, we've not how <laughs> he's not a defensive midfielder, and he wasn't when he joined United either. It's not as if we thought we were signing a defensive midfielder; we didn't, and we weren't. How long have we left that position unmanaged? We brought the Manu Matic in; that was great, but he was too old when we signed him. He cost us forty million. It was probably worth it given the scenario. But he was too old for that position. How long have we left it without having a a great defensive midfielder come in at their peak? I mean, it's it's more than a decade.
0: Yeah, it's uh, and there, there isn't really an excuse for it. I think the having Pogba playing in midfield, I think, allowed the club to sort not paper over the cracks because it was always very obvious that we needed a holding midfielder. But it, I think, it meant that. We focused on other areas because it was sort of like, well, we have got Pogba in midfield, so like he'll, he'll come good eventually, you know. Even though he was never that holding midfielder, yeah. and so I think it sort of allowed everyone to sort of redirect focus elsewhere. But it has been this sort of glaring issue the whole time. But, and the, the one thing I was just going to say about this game is that even though the midfield, I think, is the biggest problem area in this team, it wasn't just the midfield against Southampton. No, 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 this no, was just yeah. And you and you have these games where from the first minute it was just sloppy all day. The entire game, we gave away so many loose passes. We were all over the place for a lot of the game and it it just sort of set the tone. You talked about that last week with Leeds and how well we started the game. In this game, I think inside a minute and a half, we'd given away a corner from a a sloppy misplaced pass and it it was the whole team. The midfield obviously contributed to that a lot, but it wasn't just them. But that is, at the moment, the biggest problem area that this team has, and it's so frustrating because I look at this team, and in every, pretty much every other position, we have both depth and quality, which is exactly what you need to be a title challenging team. And I'm, I'm very, very scared that this midfield is going to hold us back.
1: Yeah, we should uh, wrap up, but to, to kind of to wrap up, it's not something we need to overreact to. It's early in the season; teams start slowly. United have, I mean, pretty much always started slowly, except. We had that uh, season under Mourinho where we started incredibly well with all those four nils. But I'm talking over the last two decades, United have often started season slowly and then got going, partly because players come back late from international duty. Partly just that has been the nature of some of our teams. And we've got Varane, Cavani and Sancho still to come in, really. It was a shame that Tomane wasn't fit enough to start. the The truth is, and I think there's more we could say about the midfield's not the only reason our attacking structure wasn't good enough it's also the quality from right back in that regard it's also I think a big part the the goalkeeper when you watch other teams other top teams like Liverpool and Chelsea this weekend the goalkeeper offers a passing option they they come out to clear they contribute to the build-up whether that's just their presence or whether it's actually them being on the ball I don't think that happens with De Gea and I'm not convinced it happens enough with Henderson either so that's a problem given those are our two choices
0: to be honest as as much as I, I like Henderson, I think he's arguably worse on the board yeah. than De Gea. He is more confident at, at sort of coming out of his box, but he's probably worse yeah. at his feet.
1: But it's, to, to properly sum up on the game, we won't win the league with results like these more than once or twice in a season. Results where we've drawn not through the brilliance of the opposition, but through our own lacklusterness. And it, it it was yeah, you're right. It was throughout the whole team. And and that's in years gone past, you could draw this game, and you could you could romp the league easily. But the nature of the league in in the last few seasons, we've said it so many times, times has has changed so much. And I think I think we knew that this could be our downfall this season. It's a shame. It has come so early. It's a shame to start by making our own mistake already, yeah. not that Chelsea or City or Liverpool or anyone else have been so good that we're a few points behind. It's that we've dropped points ourselves, and that's a shame, but we just have to keep up there as long as we can. It's only two games, four points from two games. It's the end of the world. City have got the same, and we can we can move on from this. It'll be fine.
0: Yeah, it is. it is ultimately just you know, one draw very early in the season and it, it is easily recoverable. So I'm I'm not too concerned about the Southampton game in a vacuum. I think for me, what's more concerning though, is we talked a lot at the end of last season and coming into this season about what is this United team? Where are we? And I think we all hoped that coming into this season, we'd sort of see a, a United team that was slightly different. And unfortunately, I think after two games, the signs are sort of pointing towards the same issues and the same good parts that we had last season you know we we're great when we had space against uh like against Leeds. but are we able to operate when we don't have that luxury we we seem to have this awful tendency to to i don't there's not really a wor- a, a correct word for it that i can come up with but i i call it just drifting through games we have periods in so many matches where 20 minutes would, goes by and you, and you feel like united just have had zero presence on the pitch in that 20 minutes both in attack and defense there's no pressure on the ball there's no aggression in defense there's no penetration in attack or any speed or urgency all over the pitch. It happened in two two distinct phases against Southampton. We started the game okay the first 20 minutes or so. And then from a couple of minutes before they scored until half time, it happened. And then it happened from, again, we started the second half quite well from about five minutes after Greenwood's goal, when it looked like we were going to go on and, and just take the game away from Southampton. Again, we just sort of, we let the game drift away. And we've spoken at length so many times that, United are not only an inconsistent team from match to match but also within matches themselves. And I think what what worries me is just that we've we're seeing some similarities to last season. And that obviously it's only two yeah. games. We'll see what happens. The Southampton game might be a complete blip. But it, you know, we we wanted United to come into this season with the quality and the depth that we are able to be more consistent. And that really what we need is we need to make our floor yeah. higher without lowering our ceiling. And at this at the moment it's obviously too early to judge, but the early signs are that we're, into to a large degree, kind of the same as last season, where we have a really high ceiling, like against Leeds, where we genuinely are as yeah. good as, I would say, any team in the world on our day. But we have these moments, we have these games where we're just not good enough. And and those games, like we're saying, you can't really afford as many of those as you used to be able to.
1: Yeah. The truth is I'll reserve my judgment on these questions for longer. But what's frustrating is the the questions that linger are similar to the ones we've had in the past about ruthlessness about attacking structure about defensive mistakes about lethargicness about these problems of breaking down good defences and yeah the same questions still linger Um, we're going to move on and then we're going to talk about Wolves at the back end of the show Time for our first loan roundup in the season. First of all, where is everyone? A quick run-through. We've got six players on loan at top flight clubs. Brandon Williams and Axel Twanzibit in the Premier League. We've got Fecunda Polistri in La Liga, Andreas Pereira in the Brazilian Serie A, Dylan Levitt and Reese Devine in the Scottish Premiership. We've got four players in the Championship. Jimmy Garner, Ethan Laird, Heath Chong and Dishon Bernard. We've got Ethan Galbraith in League One, Nathan Bishop in League Two and Will Fish in the National League. Let's begin with the main ones. Axel Twanzem just got back into things with Aston Villa. He was a late sub against Newcastle United last weekend. He was at Villa when they were promoted to the Premier League through the playoffs in 2018. Much loved at Villa Park by the squad, by coaches and by the fans as well. It's a safe place to go back to for him but we're yet to see quite how many minutes he'll get. That's the only concern. You've got Ezra concert and Tyrone Mings as the obvious first choices now. So Twanzib is going to have to force himself in either as backup to Matty Cash at right back or try and force himself into that back line ahead of Contra and Mings for at least a few games this season. For Brandon Williams, it's a great chance. He had 14 games for United last season, 36 the year before with Shaw, Teles, Wan-Bissaka and Dallow There's not much chance at Old Trafford this season and Norwich City is a fantastic opportunity. They've only got one left back, Dimitris Giannoulis. He also provides backup to. Mat- Aaron is a right-back so it should be a good one He should get some good minutes and it's a Premier League loan and that's really important for him his first move away from Manchester elsewhere for Cundapolistri back to Alaves where he was last season that should be good they like him it's a good place for him to develop and an exciting one that actually it's a good talent and a really really likeable kid had a good pre-season and he was a late sub for Alaves this weekend I'm sure he'll be starting soon Andreas Pereira is uh, back to Brazil. Well, I say back to, but he was born in Belgium and joined United from PSV Eindhoven, but he plays for Brazil. So he's gone to the country of his heritage to Flamengo, partly because United can't find a, a suitable permanent suitor, but it'll be an interesting one to see how that goes and see how he's received back in Brazil. Dylan Levitt has gone straight into the Dundee United team this week. They won 1-0 at the weekend. Reese Devine was the opposition as he went to St Johnstone, who he joined early on in the transfer window. And he played for them as they were just knocked out of UEFA Europa League qualifying by Galatasaray in the second tier there's four championship players Jimmy Garner back to the Forest after signing a long term deal at United that should be good Ethan Laird started well at Swansea already he's back with manager Russell Martin who's a big fan of his and was his manager at MK Dons last season loves him um, and it's a great move for him if he stays injury fit this could be the time he makes his name and earns himself a chance at United next season he's a good player Tee Strong has had a great start at Birmingham City meanwhile he's the focus of our loan watch this week two assists in this weekend's win against Luton Town five no win for them he was named man of the match. Now he was named of Match in his debut against Sheffield United a couple of weeks ago. They're singing, Chong, Chong will tear you apart again at St Andrews, which is a very good sign, of course. Lee Bowyer, Birmingham City manager, is delighted with him so far, as you can hear here with a clip from Blues TV. It
0: was very good. I think the first 20, 25 minutes before they changed their shape, he was causing them so many problems. Uh, and so was Max down this side as well. But Chong, yeah, he's a good player. He's a very good player and and we just got to look after him and keep trying to improve him because again I, f- I felt that he let him off the hook a few times in that first 20 minutes he'd gone past one but then past he could have kept going yeah. and got shots off and, and that's what he'd done better in the second half so uh, but again he's, he's, he's a young lad that's just, just learning the game but yeah he's um, he's a
1: good talent Lee Boyer went on to say in another interview he glides past people doesn't he with ease it's beautiful to watch for me as a manager and for the supporters whether he's in your team or the opposite team he's a talented boy but he's a talented boy that's learning he's still learning the game in the second half I said to him look be more attack minded and go past one go past two and get your shots off and he did that in the second half he learned today it's just recognizing when to dribble when to pass and when to shoot and that's why he's here online with us I knew he was a good player, but I have to say that he surprised me. You know, as good as he is in possession, his work rate out of possession is outstanding for a young lad. He's just come to us and it's like, this is how you play if you want to play for us. You work hard out of possession and he's like, "Okay, no problem. Whatever you ask him to do, he'll do. He's low maintenance with a great attitude and just wants to improve. He wants to excite people. I just want him to score a goal because his performances since he's been here, he deserves one. Dishon Bernard made his league debut this weekend for Hull City. So did Will Fish in the National League at Stockport County, where he's already got a man of the match award or two. And Ethan Galbraith has made a very good start at Doncaster Rovers in League One. He played against Portsmouth in a 0-0 home draw this week. And he was pretty good. Okay, Jack Wolves on Sunday again. A week's rest and uh, another good test for the first month against the team who... You're on
0: his favourite game. Wolves away every year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Against a team who kind of provide the same challenge that we've just failed against. It's an interesting one. The Wolves, I, I didn't watch Wolves this week. They played at the same time as us in against Tottenham. They lost 1-0, Delhi Ali penalty for, for Spurs. I saw very brief highlights. Adama Traore missed a, a brilliant one-on-one chance after an amazing run, which I, I, nothing sums up a player more than Adama beating an entire team and then missing a chance. Um, pretty typical of him. They've got a League Cup second round tie this midweek and they're still looking for their first win of the season, defeat to Leicester and Spurs so far. We should win this and I think we will. Um, I think we will bounce back quickly and, and go into the international break happy.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Harry, you and I say every every year that playing Wolves is, is the game that we look forward to the least every year. Yeah. Because every single game... But new manager,
1: new Wolves, kind oh, of. Well,
0: yeah, I, I was <laughs> going to say, as remarkable as it is, despite the fact that they've had two 1-0 losses, I think they've had the second most shots of any team in the league oh, really? in the first two games. They've had something like 46 shots wow. and not scored.
1: That's a huge amount. <laughs> so That's almost as many yeah, as were in the entire I mean, it, United League 6-2 in yeah. the season. Yeah. Which was, I, I'd never seen anything I'm, like it. I
0: think it. that in itself might have been a Premier League record as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just looking now against. I mean, against Spurs, they had 25 shots and they, they didn't manage to score, which is obviously a guy. You'd be frustrated
1: if you were, if that was your team. Yeah. That's Moyes esque.
0: <laughs> it is when there was that period under um, Jose as well, where Ibrahimovic seemed unable to hit any shot yeah. on target as well, just yeah. missing chances. So they had 25 against Spurs, and then yeah, and uh, uh, loads against Leicester as well. And it's it, you know it just be. Quite classic United, wouldn't it? That Leeds managed to find a way to put the ball in the net against us. But new manager, I think they are playing a bit more enterprise in football. I didn't watch their game against um against Spurs, but my girlfriend is a Spurs fan, so I was having her doing a bit of a scouting mission and um <laughs> she said that Wolves played quite well and it seemed like Wolves were dominating most of the game and Spurs were quite lucky to hold on to the one 0 win. So yeah they're going maybe it'll for a bit, a bit of, of entertaining a entertaining this year.
1: A little bit of a rebuild as well, Wolves. I've yeah. seen this I mean I was reading today that Spurs look like they might sign Adama Traore and that Wolves are kind of happy to let him go even though it's late in the window. He's got two years left on his contract. They've been talking to him for the last year about signing a new one. And they think that if he doesn't sign one by the end of the summer, they'd be willing to let him go to Spurs, which I thought was interesting and kind of sums up maybe what they're, they're, they are kind of, I think because they're Premier League safe, aren't they? Barring an a absolute disaster. So I think kind of, a little bit of a change over the squad isn't a bad idea and that they might sign Kiefer Moore from Cardiff. So by the time we play Wolves, we could be coming up against Kiefer Moore instead of Adama Traore, which is a strange, yeah. strange thing to imagine and it makes it quite hard to predict. But either way, do you think Varan might come in? I think for, for both of them, for Adama because of his pace. Uh, so Varan, compared to Lindelof and Maguire is going to do much better there. He's also strong and, and tall. And, and, yeah, and then Kiefer Moore for his aerial ability and kind of his strength, he feels like he might come in for whoever we're coming up against.
0: Yeah, this this feels like the right time to bring him in. I think it's obviously got to be done at some point. And I don't think Lindelof has played badly to start the season. But I think we all know that no. ultimately Varane was brought in to compete with and most likely replace Lindelof. And that change has got to be made at some point. And I, it's I, exciting yeah, isn't it? it is it is really exciting It's ex- I, I, when I went just seeing him on the bench yesterday at, in the Southampton game he despite, looked good didn't he yeah <laughs> despite how frustrated I was with the game it just got me excited to watch it and see him on the yeah, bench there yeah. I, feel, I, I feel like sometimes there are these players that as, as British football fans often don't watch that much of European football I, I think and you sort of only see these players these big Champions League nights and they're almost like Glamour players, I I sort of think of them in my head. You know, these yeah. these players that seem to only seem to see them. them. Yeah, exactly. You only seem to see them in these big occasions. Like the, the the thought of Varane playing away at Wolves or you know away at Brentford, like yeah. that just, it feels almost wrong in my head, but so exciting at the same time. You know, getting these sort of big players in, at United, and yeah, I'm I'm so excited to watch. Varane play and I I would expect him to play against Wolves yeah
1: I'm trying to think if there'll be any other changes I guess Cavani might come in he's been in training for a little over a week now I think he came back just before in fact no he came back on the Monday after the Leeds game so he's been in training for by the time the Wolves game comes round, just under two weeks so he might come back in apparently he's, he's very fit it's, there's no concerns about that so yeah he might I, I guess he, he'll probably come off the bench and then perhaps the first half for Sancho as well we could I mean we could see quite a different team we could see Sancho Greenwood Pogba with Varanin which would be uh, two changes and then McTominay I, I reckon will come back in so I think we'll possibly see three changes from the from the Southampton game, not necessarily based off the Southampton game, kind of just possibly pre-planned anyway. So I've ran in for Lindelof McTominay back in for Matic and Sancho in for uh Martial. And I think I'd be excited by that team.
0: Yeah, I'd love to see Sancho get a start. Even though he he wasn't involved too much against Southampton. There were some really promising signs down the right between him and Wan-Bissaka the first five or ten minutes. Yeah, straight away. Yeah, Yeah, it was some really good combination down there, that side. He he wasn't in the game too much after that. As sort of the whole team... Again, just sort of drifted out of the game, but I would love to see Sancho start. Yeah. I mean, if we could have a front line of Sancho, Fernandez, Pogba, and Greenwood, <laughs> and, and have Varane at the back, I mean, I'd, there'd be a lot of happy United fans waiting, waiting to watch that game.
1: And you just know if we put that lineup out, it means we're losing because any lineup <laughs> that we're happy with is the one where we always lose. Um yeah. such is such is life. I, I do. But if I, we
0: played Lingard or something, we'd definitely win. After all the fume on Twitter before the game. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, there was that stat about Dan James last week about us not losing with him. 26 games in a row which is pretty maybe we
0: just start Dan James every every week and then take him off after five minutes
1: yeah yeah I did think I said in our season preview about Sancho that I thought he might take a couple of months and I think he might but it is now time to start him I think Um, he's had enough time he's fit he's brilliant let's get him in let's let him let's get him settled as quickly as possible and and get him used to the premier league cuz you forget these is his it was his premier league debut against Leeds um so yeah let's get in we're going to move on to our patron Q&A for our patrons um thank you for your support patrons we'll be with you shortly for everyone else We'll wrap things up. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it, despite the result. We will speak to you next week after the Wolves game. But for more from us during the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at...
0: At UTDTait, T-A-I-T.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64 on the podcast itself at UTDWeeklyPod. That's P-O-D at the end there. And that's where you should go if you want to find out information about how to become a patron. For as little as £1.50 a week, you can listen to the bonus Q&As at the... £1.50 a month, sorry. I've massively for I've as little as one pound fifty a month, much less than one pound fifty a week. You can listen to our bonus Q and As at the end of every show, which we're going to go to now where we talk about defensive organisation, the coaching, um, Greenwood, Martial, Van der Beek, uh, loads of stuff. So we better get stuck into that. But thank you very much for listening, everyone. I'll speak to you next week. Have a good one.
2: Goodbye.